Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program brought to you by the team at Radio New Zealand Sport. On this week's show, the Kiwis and Rabbitohs star hooker Isaac Luke signs with the Warriors. Victor Vito returns to the table-topping Hurricanes and Dan Carter prepares for his Christchurch swan song. The head of the Olympic Committee says New Zealand could host the Games, while the up-and-coming swimmer Gabriel Fa'amalsili dreams of going to Rio. Ernie Merrick wonders where it all went wrong for the Phoenix and Michael Campbell calls time on top flight golf. The Warriors roster for next season has been bolstered with the signing of the Kiwis and South Sydney star hooker Isaac Luke on a three-year deal. The 27-year-old asked the reigning National Rugby League champions to release him with two years to go on his contract so he could sign with the Warriors and be closer to his family. The Warriors' chief executive Jim Doyle says Luke will join the Sydney star Roger Tuivasa-Shek at the Warriors next year in what's shaping up to be a formidable squad. Yeah, really positive actually having Isaac and obviously you say Roger recently, uh, but also on top of that, you know, I mean, being able to re-sign Ben Matalino and Manu Vatavai and, and obviously Conrad um, and the young boys coming through Solomon Kara and Tui Lola here and things, you know, it's 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 starting to come together. Of course, Isaac Luke, Premiership winner and a, a Kiwi star. Um, what is he going to bring to the Warriors? You know, a huge amount. I mean, if you look at the spine that we'll have with, with Roger, um, and obviously Roger's a Premiership winner as well. Um, Roger, Sean, Tommy, you know, it'll just be fantastic. And then add on top of that, people like Simon, Ryan Hoffman, you know, who's also a Premiership winner. So our, our real objective is to be a top four, top four team, and this is certainly going to help us uh, hopefully achieve that objective. And it was the lure of home that got Isaac over the line, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And there's no doubt that every time he goes into the Kiwis camp, he spends time with the Kiwi boys. Him and Benny Matz is uh, obviously real close friends. And every time he spends more time with them, um, that's what he wants that draws him home. Uh, I know he said to me, even when I was at New Zealand Rugby League, uh, which is you know six years ago or so, that he wanted to uh, finish his career at home. And um, well, I think when he came for the Four Nations at the end of last year, spent some time at home and things, he started to itch to come home, and then I think the Anzac test just uh, recently, obviously, therefore made him go and talk to Sars about getting a release to finish his uh, career here. So, yeah. And was that what you were over there uh, finalising the contract and getting the release? Was that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah, I went across there last night because his manager had received the, lease, the release from Sars because we couldn't offer or, or finalise any contract, obviously, until he had been released. Um, so once the release came through, I jumped on a plane uh, last night and we did it all last night and uh, got back this morning. I guess South will be pretty disappointed, but they're being pretty gracious about it, aren't they? South have been really good. South have been really good. I talked to their CEO last night, uh, and obviously Michael Maguire. They obviously uh, I've no doubt spent quite a bit of time with Isaac, uh, and decided that you know he's been a real good servant for them, and therefore they have decided that, uh, that they've let him go. And you know they've obviously got uh, young McInnes coming through the system, uh, that they feel that by the end of this year he'll have more experience and he'll be their next hooker probably. So it means that they have retained him. Um, but yeah, they've been very gracious. And will it create uh, quite a bit of competition for that spot in the in the middle there? 
Uh, from our point of view, yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what the coaches want. They want constant competition for players to make sure that they're always staying at the performing at the highest level. And it's uh, say, if we want to be a top four team, that's what we really got to focus on. Jim Doyle's also confirmed the Australian playmaker Chad Townsend is set to leave the Auckland club to return to Sydney. He went on to tell Richard Wayne he's pleased with the decision by Regional Facilities Auckland to consider leaving the Warriors at Mount Smart Stadium, which it had proposed converting to a speedway. Yeah, I mean, yesterday was a pretty special day. I mean, obviously, we've not really saved anything yet. We've just asked them to um, to delay, and they've decided and agreed with us to delay their decision for 12 months, so it gives us more time to have a look at multiple different options. Uh, but but to allow them to, but for them to make that happen and agree to doing that was pretty special. Um, and that all happened in the morning. I met with the RFA, the new CEO from the RFA yesterday at midday and then jumped on a plane and, and finished off last night with another special sort of uh, signing. So it was a pretty, pretty good day yesterday. I guess the RFA, um, you know, you'll have to have more consultation with them now and really see where the lie of the land is with the new guy. Yeah, as I said, a good hour and a half with them yesterday, which was really positive. And we talked about, you know, looking at multiple options and being engaged and and identifying, you know, and thinking outside the square as to what could be and what would be the best thing for Auckland as a city. Um, so I'm looking forward to being engaged in that process and working with them. Do you think motorway, speedway going to Waikaraka Park might be an option? Yeah, this, this, we, we talked about a couple of things yesterday, and obviously it's like most things at that level, it's high, high sort of level discussions. But Waikaraka Park for me was an obvious one, and I asked that of the council, you know, why, what's wrong with Waikaraka Park? Why did you not just move Speedway there? And the other one is Collindale Park, you know, out here by the airport. I mean, there's a park there that's specifically designed for Speedway and, and you know, motocross and whatever it, whatever it is. That, that whole area is sort of go-karting and that type of thing. So there's a couple of options. I don't know what's wrong with those options. Maybe moving to one of those options and upgrading one of those places would be a cheaper investment. So we just have to work through that. And obviously the worry is that you want to stay at Mount Smart, North Harbour's no good and Eden Park's too big. Exactly. The all-black Victor Vito returns to the top of the table Hurricanes this week after recovering from a calf injury that's kept him out of the team since the start of April. Vito lines up against the Sharks in Wellington on Saturday where a win could clinch the home side a berth in the playoffs. They had some mixed news on the injury front this week, with first five Bowden Barrett ruled out for a month with a knee injury sustained in the win over the Crusaders. Vito told Barry Guy it's been difficult watching his team from the sidelines. You know, the boys have been uh, doing really, really well without me, so I'm just trying to get out there and remind them that I'm, I'm still around, putting my hands up. Calves can be a bit of, bit of an issue, but, you know, the, the three weeks, you managed to get over it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's probably one of the shorter... Uh, time spans have been out for a calf, so hopefully that means the body's getting older and stronger, I hope. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty niggly and uh, yeah, looking forward to the game this weekend. Uh, sort of interestingly, uh, the injury situation, especially in the loose forwards, have worked out well for the for the Hurricanes. Someone's gone out and someone else is at the game and lifted the game and, and everything, and you're back now, and it's, uh, you know, it's the loose trio's looking really strong. Yeah, um, you know, we're actually hoping that we can all be fit and available, at, you know, for a decent stretch, so we don't have to worry about guys rotating in and out. But um, yeah, it's uh, Lux had it its own way that we uh, come in when other guys are out. So uh, yeah, it's been going well, and the combinations are, are really working well. So I'm just hoping to add to that. But uh, ball carrying, you know, that's one of your strengths to, against the Sharks. Perhaps you'll be looking to do a bit of that. Yeah, I think just doing my role within the team. Um, you know, obviously ball carrying is a big part of that, and uh, I think defensively, you know, I think the Sharks, you know, they're a team that's on the ropes a little at the moment, and uh, they're not going to come uh, half cocked anyway. So uh, it's going to be a big challenge. And uh, you know, we all know your reputation, Blake Thompson. He, he's back from injury last week, and he 
got right into it. Just tell us about him and how he's uh, he's come on. Oh, Blade's uh, a bit of a freakish athlete, uh, I must say. Um, you know, he's been out for a little bit with a concussion. They can do funny things with your head, uh, but uh, well, go go figure. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he just he just got ripped right into their game and uh, made it look as if he had never left the park. So um, you know, he's been working hard and making sure that his uh, head's clear. You know, uh, you know from a medical point of view, and uh, he's been doing really well. And Ardy, of course, you know, he didn't get uh, the last couple of years. He was sort of eased into it. Are we seeing the benefits of that now? Yeah, I think uh, Ardy would probably say he was ready two years ago. But, um, look, um, you know, the, the player that he is now, um, who knows, it might have uh, been different if he'd come in earlier. But, uh, you know, where he is at for us at the moment is perfect, and uh, I can only see that he's got more to go as well. And what's good? What, what, what are the Hurricanes doing so well? Uh, you know, I think the funny thing with uh, winning games, I think, uh, brings out a little bit more of that confidence that you probably, you know, to throw that pass or to go for that offload that uh, you probably wouldn't have if, uh, if your team wasn't was up against it. So, you know, I think winning uh, brings confidence, and uh, we're just uh, we're just riding the wave at the moment, and hopefully we, uh, we just continue on that way. Now, the Highlanders gave the Sharks a bit of a hiding last week. You know, uh, are they a bit of a banana skin now? Because you're expected to win the Sharks. This yeah, week, you know? to be honest, you know, they've got quite a few Springboks in that team and uh, for us you know you're, you're never going to go into that game taking them easy I mean you know if anything they're a lot more wounded now and a lot more dangerous than they've ever been uh, so uh, for us and especially guys like myself who are just coming back in the threat is very real and uh, yeah, um, we're definitely going to have to bring our A game. Uh, John Plumtree is able to help at all you know he used to be there. Yeah uh, John used to be there and uh, oh, I thought he gave us a few um, few words about how, how to approach them because you know they're like, like you know they're big boys and uh, obviously like I've been saying they're, they're going to be hurt so uh, it's going to be a big conf- confrontational game and uh, we're going to have to be ready for that. And he's been helping of course with the defence which is one of the keys for the Hurricanes this year you'd be pretty happy with the way that's going the D? Yeah uh, he's uh, brought some uh, consistency to our D and uh, that's probably the main thing you know we've probably always been a team that could uh, score tries but uh, I think having that D to back us up uh, has been able to open up those wins for us. With the Crusaders unlikely to make the Super Rugby playoffs this year, their game against the Reds on Friday in Christchurch could be Dan Carter's last match at home for the franchise. Since 2003, Carter has earned over 100 caps for the Crusaders, but will join French club Racing Metro after the World Cup on a two-year deal. The 33-year-old admits his last home game will be emotional, but says he's focused on making sure he enjoys it with a win. Definitely time for business. You know, it's uh, the most important thing is getting the job done on Friday night. Uh, you know, they're in a similar situation to us. You know, they're probably not all that happy with the way their season's going. So it's it's an important game for us, and as well as being the, the last sort of game here in Christchurch for a few of the players. So uh, I'm sure after the game there will be a little bit of reflection. I guess from your point of view, it's been 12 years, it's 13 years in a red and black jersey and cross, it's a huge chunk of your life, isn't it? It is, yes, yeah, my 13th uh, season, uh, putting on the Canterbury Crusader colours, so hard uh, to think it's potentially my last game here in Christchurch is, uh, it's going to be tough, you know, I think we have the best fans, you know, in the world and you know, it's a big part of um, me enjoying playing here is going out there and playing at home and in front of my fans, so to think this could potentially be one um, of the last games of doing that is... Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty emotional, but uh, an exciting, exciting game. I know you are a passionate crusader, but in terms of the franchise at the moment, with a lot of people leaving, is it in good shape to kind of keep going and moving forward in the same sort of vein that it has in the past? Yeah, the, you know, the beauty is, no matter what happens, you know, with guys uh, coming and leaving, there's always going to be uh, a core foundation of people that will, you know, continue this legacy. So, you know, that's the the beauty and the, the strength of the 
the Crusaders that uh, you know whoever leaves and whoever steps in, you know, there's that firm culture that uh, you know will stay forever. So you know, have full confidence, you know, moving forward that yeah, the Crusaders uh, franchise will be a strong one for for years to come. Do you have a favourite memory at all? I still remember, you know, my first game, you know, for the Crusaders uh, back in 2003 was. It was a challenging one because I was starting ahead of an absolutely loved Cantabrian and Andrew Murdens and you know there's a bit of an uproar about me starting ahead of him and um, you know luckily uh, he managed to come on that game and uh, relieve a bit of pressure from my hands. I was pretty nervous and um, you know that game you know went pretty well and you know I remember that game you know, fondly. It's quite funny that that year you sort of first started playing. You're playing in '12 and almost back there again now. It's slightly. Yeah, I know. First two seasons, you know, for the Crusaders, uh, I played all my games at, uh, apart from that very first one, in the 12 jersey, and uh, you know, here I am. So basically, just doing whatever uh, is best for the team, and that's a big motto for us: is always putting the team first. And uh, if that means me playing 12, only too happy to. Does it still feel like the AMI stadium that we've got now feels like a bit of a, a fill-in? At the moment, that it would be nice to be back at, at the old Jade or the old Lancaster Park. Yeah, it's, I get similar feelings. To, you know, whenever we um, you know drive past you know the old stadium, and it's a bit of an eerie feeling. There's just so many good memories for myself at that stadium. Um, but you you just got to move on, and um, you know I've got uh, an amazing stadium with some awesome atmosphere. Uh, the the new AMI stadium, so you know that's our that's our home for now. And you know, guys absolutely love playing there. What's number 12 giving you at the moment, your time at second five, and as you look ahead for the rest of the season, what, what are you getting out of that, do you think, at the moment? Um, I think it's sort of really helping with, you know, the, I guess the physicality um, you know, part of my game. You know, yeah, having to take the ball into contact, have, having to clean rucks, having to make uh, you know, tackles, and um, you know, rugby today, you, know, you have to be able to do that in, no matter what position you play, um, some positions more so than others, and, and you know, it's, it's Making me have to, to work hard on on those three areas, especially. Collins had the kicking boots in, in, in recent weeks. How's, how's your uh, goal kicking away from game situation at the moment? Yeah, it's it's pretty good. You know, I had a bit of trouble with uh, my plant foot, um, so I'm just trying to get on top of that. Uh, hence, uh, Slady, you know, kicking and kicking well. So, um, you know, it's another week, and then the bye week. You know, just continue to to get on top of that and you know, keep slotting a few that you know from uh, have to kick again. Then you know, more than capable. The head of the Olympics has flagged the possibility of New Zealand hosting the Games. The president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bark, who visited New Zealand this week, says he's open to the idea, though he doesn't know if this country's actually up to it. Henry Ackland reports. It's the world's biggest sporting event, and its 2012 rendition cost London nearly £9 billion to host. But sweeping changes this year have made it easier and cheaper for host city hopefuls to bid. And Thomas Bach says they are now open to any country hosting the Olympics. I'm not here to give lessons. Huh? I'm, I'm here to listen. And, uh, but uh, it has to be a decision coming from uh, New Zealand. The only uh, offer I can make uh, to, to uh, New Zealand is that uh, if uh, New Zealand is is ready to to look into it, that uh, we are ready. He says New Zealand could discuss the details of how it would go about hosting the Olympics with his committee. The New New Zealand Olympic Committee uh, would say, OK, we come to Lausanne, let's have a look. And uh, then uh, they could tell us, these are the facilities we have, uh, these are the facilities we could imagine 
to build. Uh, these are the facilities where we would propose only temporary uh, facilities and uh, there in this board uh, uh, we have no opportunity to, to organize it. Uh, there we would have to look uh, for for other for other options, uh, but uh, I guess uh, you would not like uh, to see sailing organised in Australia. However, Thomas Bach says he would need to know more about stadiums and other sports infrastructure here to comment on whether this country could cope. Mike Stanley is the president of the New Zealand Olympic Committee. He says they will keep talking to the IOC about the possibility of hosting the Games. They still would be a significant undertaking. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Um, Just the number of athletes um, and entourage and media and then spectators. Uh, And it would have to align not only with a sporting vision for New Zealand, it would have to align with an economic and a social vision for New Zealand. Thomas Bark's visit is to meet the heads of several sports organisations and top athletes in Auckland and Waikato. Last month, sports promoter Martin Seddon said he wanted to bring the Football World Cup to New Zealand, but Australia said it wasn't interested in co-hosting. The Wellington Phoenix brought their season to an abrupt end last week after losing to Melbourne City in their first match of the playoffs. The Phoenix climbed onto the top of the A-League table during the regular season, but a sudden form slump produced a horror run to the finals in which they only won one of their last six games. Stephen Hewson spoke to the Phoenix coach Ernie Merrick, who was at a loss to explain his team's demise. I just felt the players didn't show what they were capable of, and they let themselves down a little bit. I don't know why. I don't know if it was commitment or lack of enthusiasm or motivation or they just felt intimidated or what, but the team are far better than that. So I was a bit deflated by that that last game, but overall I, I thought it was a pretty good year. If you'd been given that option at the start of the season, what would that have been par, would it, I suppose, the top six? We did aim for the top six, so to finish in the top four. In actual fact, when you look at it, we had 46 points, so we're equal with Adelaide, so we were third equal. The difference was was, was the goal difference. So if you'd told me at the beginning of the year, I'd have gone, no, oh, you're, you're, you're trying to have us overachieve here. But I, I, the boys consistently played well. We just had that fall away towards the last few games of the year, which is when you need your most experienced players at their best. Do you think you got worked out at that point? I think we got worked out. I don't think we had enough uh, options creatively in midfield. And I thought uh, we only really had one player that can turn a game and sc- score a goal off of his own back, you know, really create something out of nothing, uh, and that was Nathan Burns. Uh, to be a real contender from in the finals, you've got to have two, three of those players. And if you look at the bigger clubs, they've got three and four of them, some of them. Um, uh, victory would have at least four or five players that can turn a game. We didn't have enough, but I think we're on the right track. Yep, so where does that leave you then for, for the next season? Uh, we're, we're, I think we're in a very healthy position. Um, all the players that we have signed uh, for next year are all, are all the regulars for this year. Uh, we know who we have to add and um, and we'll go out and try and recruit. Um, I think season one I had to recruit about 12, 14 players. Season two, it was really just five, and now it's probably another two or three players. And and with the youngsters coming through, it'd be good to have quality mentors in there. And and I'd love to have another experienced striker who who can mentor some of our up and coming younger players. A striker is that the 
the number one priority? Definitely, because uh, strikers uh, win games for you. Defenders save games and get draws, but strikers, uh, are when they score, the whole face of the game changes enormously. The strategy changes. A team that are defending against you has to open up. It lifts morale. It gives a buzz about a team. The, the, the crowd love it, and they get, get behind you even more. So... It's really about looking, and I think we've got good strikers, Roy Krishna, and and we've got Corbina Apia, and um, and Nathan. So we've got good quality strikers, but I just think uh, a, a really experienced goal scorer who can cope with the pressure and bring other players along with him, like Nathan does, would be a huge addition to our squad. Midfield, someone that can take the game by the, the scruff of the neck. I think we're developing midfield. I, I think uh, uh, Riera is just a tremendous player. Vince Lea, uh, really good experience. Really Bonavazia, very exciting. McGlinchey, um, and we've got some younger boys coming through like Rufer and Redenton. So I, I don't see the need uh, more so much in midfield. I I think we've got a good midfield, and because they're young, I think they'll get better. And I, I would predict that Rodriguez is going to be uh, a key player for us next year. He's he's really and he's only 21. Forget that. And Rowley's only 23. But I think we've got some really good quality midfielders. The back we have to have cover at the back. We have to have maybe another centre back, maybe another full back. So just two three players is all we're looking for, and we'll, we'll try and hang out for the, for the right ones, the right fit. One or two on the radar. No, I'd like to say there was, but to be honest, there, there's not. And uh, I, I've been rejecting a lot because at the moment the agents are throwing everyone, everything and everyone at us. But we had such a successful recruiting campaign last year with Bonavazia, Rodriguez, uh, McGlinchey and Burns. We, we want to see if we can keep that, that, uh, that quality high. How do you cope with that as a coach? I mean, how, how deflating was that given where you were midpoint? of the season. I mean, you, you've been around the traps a little bit. You've, you've most probably been in similar situations previously, but as a, how, how do you work with that when you've seen what may have been? Well, I think I took it pretty hard, and I think the senior players, especially Durante, it was hard on, on him because we know how tough it is to get in finals and how great an opportunity it is and, and he and McGlinchey you know they've won a grand final and I've won a grand final so you just see this great opportunity and it wasn't so much that we lost the game it was the way we lost the game I found that the hardest to take if ever you thought the boys would go out there and give it everything this would be the game and they didn't and uh, as we parted a couple of days ago, we had a farewell and a get-together. As we parted, I said, look, you've got to remember this feeling and how bad it is. We can't ever let this happen again. Does the side have it, though, that that will burn enough to, to sit there? I'm hoping so. I think you, you expressed that really well, Steve. It, it should burn and it should sit there for a long time. And um, sometimes you need an experience in the finals like that so that it, it prepares you for the next time. But having said that, they certainly showed throughout the year that they can beat teams, good teams, home and away. And uh, and when the pressure's on, they've got to thrive on it and enjoy it and not uh, and not collapse in a heap. Have you managed to sit down with Andrew Durante one-on-one and talk, talk it through? I make a point of not doing that, but I think it's an important thing to do, but at the right time. And the right time to do that with all the players 
is at the beginning of pre-season and we'll sit down and say okay this is what we did, this is how we achieved it, this is what your goals were, this is the processes and what you thought you'd have to do to get in the finals and do well. Now we've got to review that and you've got to, we've got to look at how we set up next year to win games. We, we've got the strategy, we've got the technique, we've got the fitness, now it's about winning and I want it to come from the players and what we need to work on to win. So there'd be unlikely to be major overhaul strategy-wise or anything come next season? Very happy with the strategy and the way they played and the more than more often than not they really showed that they're flexible. We have a 4-3-3, sometimes two holders, sometimes one, sometimes two attacking midfielders, sometimes one, sometimes three high strikers, sometimes a number 10 false uh, nine. And uh, and that's that's the combinations we play based on a 4-3-3 and I thought they did all that extremely well and that's why we scored... 45 goals. It's about being better at it and uh, not just being comfortable in it but being better at it and going from that transition of defence to attacking back again. I think that's that's a thing that you continually learn and also if we mix things up a little bit that they, they go positively forward and yet don't all commit so that we leave ourselves light on at the back and can see the early goals, that type of thing. But no, the strategy is good, we've got the right players to play it, we've played some great exciting football. I think we we'll have to sort out our set plays. Corner kicks four and penalties four are two areas that we we'll have to work on more. But um, all in all, I think we're on the right track. It's just a case of getting better at it and getting a couple of more players to join us. The New Zealand golfer Michael Campbell retired from top flight golf this week after an 18-month absence from the European Tour. After winning the US Open in 2005, Campbell has struggled with form and injuries in recent years and says he's lost the motivation to play at the highest level. After his recent divorce, the 46-year-old is living in Spain with his two teenage sons where he started a golf academy for young players. Speaking to Jamie Tahana, Campbell says it's time for him to give something back to golf. Well, I think, you know, I've thought about it over the last six months or so when it's the right time to retire. I've been through a lot personally as well, but um, for me, it's just, I feel like it's, it's time for a new page in my book. I've had a wonderful career, you know, I've won 15 times around the world, and including the major championship, the US Open, and you know, the support I've had throughout my whole career, 20 years of being professional, has been wonderful from New Zealand. My New Zealand supporters have been fantastic through the hard times, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, what more can I say? It's been a, a wonderful journey so far. And um, I think it's time now to move on and do other things. Um, I decided to uh, maybe join the seniors tour in four years' time. So in four years, I might play, start playing, playing again. But right now, um, I feel uh, it's a very hard choice to make to retire from the game because it's given me so much in, in my life. Uh, to f- fulfill a dream of winning a major championship is something special. A fair few people start playing golf when they retire. What's this new page for you? I think for me, it's just basically giving back to the game, which has given me so much of my life, really. I've been playing golf since I was six years old, so 40 years of playing golf. I like to open up golf cameras around the world. I've got one here in Spain at the moment. I'd love to start one in New Zealand one day, hopefully, um, to nurture and, and direct young kids to follow my footsteps, you could say. And then, you know, in different parts of Asia as well, I'm, I'm open up golf academy. So... I'm trying to give back, you know, to uh, this game and, and pass on my, all my experiences and my 
love all my achievements and hopefully these kids will learn and, and go go forth and, and win tournaments. So that's my, my goal really is to do that. Is there any kind of, I mean, you've got your one going in Spain now. Is there any plan at this point for New Zealand? Is, is that wheel in motion or is it just an idea at this point? Um, it's just an idea at this point and I'd love to get involved with New Zealand Golf. I'd love to get involved with, with uh, all the Kiwi, young Kiwi talent there and, and come over and, and spend some time with them and, and share my my, my knowledge. Um, there's one thing that Jack Nicholas said to me a long time ago. He said to me, Michael, since you've won your major, you need to pass on um, your knowledge and your experiences to the young kids, young generation. So ever since then, that was like 10 years ago, he said that to me. So ever since then, I've always had that in the back of my mind. And now I feel it's the right time for me to do that. Um, my boys now are 16 and 14 years old, you know, um, I'm a single parent, so it's nice to spend time with them. I've really bonded a lot with them over the last couple of years. I mean, most of the time I've been absent father. I've been away most of their lives. So now I'm, I'm really involved with you know school pickups and cooking and homework and sports. So it's been a different role for me, really, because uh, as you know, golf is a very selfish game and you always spend time away from the family. Uh, it takes a lot of time and, and hard work and dedication. But now I feel at my age, at 46 years old, it's time to take a back seat a little bit and just, um, you know, watch my boys grow to healthy young men. As, as you say, it is a very individual game and 20 years of it. Is, is it going to be hard to leave it? You know what? Um, I've had um, a lot of support from my fellow peers, my mates on tour and... Um, they understand. They understand because there's been other guys too who are in a very similar situation as me, who won majors, who are the same age as me, they're, they're a little bit tired, just the traveling, the time jet lag. You know, people don't see that. All they see is us winning all this money and all these trophies and playing these beautiful golf courses. But behind the scenes, it's tough. It's a tough, tough life. There's a lot of strain on the, on the relationships with your, your partner or your wife or your kids and and now I just feel it's the right time for me to park, you know, put golf in the back burner a little bit and just really focus on other things right now. And uh, I have no no resentment or no... I feel it's, it's the right thing to do for me right now. And, I mean, not a full departure from the game, though. I mean, talk of academies, the seniors tour and stuff. I mean, will, will you be sort of a Thursday afternoon at Tahi Bay again? <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, this is where it started for me, Tahi Bay Golf Course, uh, all those years and years ago. You know, golf has, has given me so much. I've won these wonderful awards. I've um, met some wonderful people. I've raised money for charity. So my life has been fulfilled with lots of beautiful, wonderful things. Um, so I can't complain. You know, if I walk away right now from the game of golf, I have no regrets whatsoever. Uh, I've had a wonderful life with, with golf and uh and my CBE I got from the from the Queen eight years ago to all these wonderful awards around the world. Um, it's just been a, a wonderful rocket ride, I call it, over the last 20 years. Um, I, I can't ask for more. From when you started 20 years ago to when you look at it today, what transition have you seen in New Zealand golf and in what stead is it? Well, I think uh, the golf, golf has been like, it comes in... Um, peaks and troughs and right now obviously with Lydia playing so well, amazing golfer and it's wonderful to see 
with her carrying a flag from the Zealand Gulf is, is absolutely incredible. Incredible talent. And it's nice to see that she's number one in the world, youngest player ever, men and women, to be number one player in the world and, and do what she's done so far. And, and I, I expect her really to go on and win major tournaments, no question. Probably a multi, multi-major winner, that's for sure. She's just a, a wonderful, wonderful talent. And I want to see more of her out there and, and playing from New Zealand. So that's my, my goal, deep down inside, is to somehow combine with, um, with New Zealand golf and um, come back home and, and do, do golf academies and just you know, pass on what I can to these young kids who want to do what I, I've done, to win, to win a major. I mean, there's no, there's no reason why we can't. There's no excuses. Uh, we, we punch way above our... A weight, you know, when it comes to sport, uh, we're amazing sports people, and uh, what we've achieved so far on the sports world is just incredible. So there's no reason why we can't even do better in golf. And um, Lydia, she, she's paving the way. You know, Bob Charles started it for us in 1963, won the Open there, and you got Frank Nobolo, Greg Turner, who back in the Asian 90s, who who held the flag, and I came along with Tarangi. Philip Tartarangi and Grant Moorhead and Stephen Scarhill, Michael Long, there's a bunch of guys back in the 90s. Then, you know, obviously I went on and win, win 15 times in the world. Um, so there's a bunch of talent, you know, young kids right now back home who needs to be nurtured the right way. And unfortunately in golf, there's wrong information. Um, so as long as our, our kids get the right information, I'm sure we can uh, make more true major champions in the future. One of New Zealand's most impressive up-and-coming swimmers was competing in Wellington this week at the National Junior Championships. Gabrielfa Amalsili is only 15 but already holds a junior world record in the 50-metre backstroke as well as the Halberg Emerging Talent Award. The teenage sprinter, who was second in the 50-metre freestyle at this year's national championship, told me she started swimming after nearly drowning as a toddler. Well, it started off with just, like, lessons and stuff. Um, my mum and dad really wanted me to learn how to swim and just be confident around, um, like, deep water and stuff. So I started learning at three, and um, I had a drowning accident at four, and I, I like, couldn't go back to swimming. I hated it. My, my mum had to save me, like, pull me out of the water or whatever. Yeah, and then they started lessons up at my primary school. It was for free, so my mum thought, oh, yeah, you might as well just, like, join in and learn how to swim to make sure it doesn't happen again. So, yeah, that's kind of how I started learning and stuff, and, yeah. You're already a world record holder or a junior world record holder in the in the backstroke. How does it feel yeah. to be a, a world record holder? I don't know. It's still, after, like, two years, hasn't hit me. But, um, I feel normal. My team... And my coach, my coach definitely keeps me grounded and I don't feel like it, but I guess it's cool sometimes to hear it. And also you managed to beat probably the best swimmer in the country, Lauren Boyle, <laughs> last year at the Nationals. That must have uh, been quite a buzz. No, uh, that was a bit of a fluke, I guess. She's not really a sprinter and that's kind of my thing, so I don't know. But yeah, it was kind of cool at the time. <laughs> so do you think sprinting is what you're going to concentrate on? It's my strong point, so I'm just, for now, working on improving it and, like, getting better. But I also really need to work on, like, a little bit, like, my longer distances as well because I'm, I'm really, that's, like, my real weak point. Okay, now, is there any chance, do you think, that you might be swimming at next year's Olympics? That's definitely one of my goals, and I would love to qualify 
it's one of my goals, so yeah, I think I'm going to go for it and see what happens. What's the next big event, though, that you're looking forward to? This year, I'm going to focus on, well, first, at this meet, I have to try and qualify for Junior Worlds, which is in Singapore, and Youth Commonwealth, which is in Samoa, my home country, which is cool. But, um, yeah, so just focusing on getting better places there and hopefully, like, getting more medals at those meets and dominating the junior meets so that I'll be um, sort of ready for next year, I guess. And Yeah, because the the quality of swimming at those meets are just, like, just as high or almost as good as the ones at senior meets, so it's really good to get along to those. Hey, can you tell me a little bit about your training and, and what life's like for you? Are you? Do you train every day? I train every day except for Sunday, um, twice a day during the week and once on Saturday morning. Eleven sessions and all throughout the week. So, what time do you get to the swimming pool in the morning? Um, in the morning, five forty-five. Five forty-five in the morning and five forty-five in the afternoon. Have you thought about going to university? Maybe you could get a scholarship to a university in America or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, I definitely was looking into that, but yeah. So I'm really hoping that some scouts are at a meet or something can. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.